Welcome to the Nature of Mind podcast. Our mind is our most valuable asset and most dangerous possession. It can be amazingly creative or terrifyingly destructive. The Nature of Mind project invites you to learn from thinkers in psychology, neuroscience, philosophy and Buddhism. Learn more at natureofmind.net. We hope you enjoy this episode. I'm very delighted to introduce Carol. Um, actually, I need to ask you, is it Bowman or is it Bowman? Bowman. Bowman. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm very delighted to introduce Carol Bowman. And um, she's the leading expert in uh, children's memories of past lives. And actually, from what I've been reading, I think you were one of the first, Carol, um, to do that kind of research in a, in a very systematic way, although there have been a few cases. Uh, of really collating all those experiences of children's memories of past lives. And also, uh, Carol is a trained counsellor, and she's also been looking at the healing potential of memories of children's past lives um, and what it can teach us about our relationships within families um, and uh, individuals' lives and how to help them. Um, She's done a lot of research uh, over the years and she's written two books one of them is called children's past lives and the other is uh, return from heaven um so i wanted to start off carol by just asking you um how you got interested in children's past lives yeah i'd like to preface it saying oh. that there was um i'm not the first in the field ian stevenson really created the field of research back in the early 60s. I came on to the scene later in the 80s. Um, I had no idea that children could have past life memories at the time. And it this literally fell into my lap through my young son. That's how I got into this. In 1988, when he was five, he developed a phobia of loud booming sounds which was really puzzling. It came out of nowhere and we were at a fireworks display on the 4th of July, our independence day in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the fireworks, he became absolutely hysterical. Mm-hmm. And he was a very brave little boy, very daring, so that his behavior really surprised me. Um, and I didn't understand why he was so triggered by that sound. And I wrote it off as any mother would, you know, he was probably just too excited that day or had too much sugar, something set him off. But then it happened again a few weeks later when we were in an indoor swimming pool and people on the diving board would make this big booming reverberating sound off the walls of the swimming pool building. And again, he became absolutely hysterical. So at that point I figured out, okay, it's these noises that are triggering this hysteria in him and I couldn't think of any source you know any exposure he could have had earlier in his life Um, I was a stay-at-home mother at that time and he had an older sister so I thought this behavior was really strange and as fate would have it um, a hypnotherapist was visiting me in my home in North Carolina at the time because I had done a past life regression a year before for my chronic lung problems. And I have to add that that one two hour session completely reversed my illness. So I had plunged deeply into my curiosity about what this phenomenon was and how a past life regression 
could heal a physical ailment. And um, because my friends were all amazed at my recovery, I invited the hypnotherapist who originally worked with me, Norman Ng, to our house to work with about a dozen of my friends. And during his stay at my house, I mentioned Chase's, my son's name is Chase, his phobia. Mm. And Norman suggested that we do an experiment. And I had no idea what he had in mind, but I trusted him. And I figured he would give Chase some post-hypnotic suggestion. So once he started school, which was he was about to do, he wouldn't freak out in school mm-hmm. and go through this hysterical reaction. So anyway, Norman simply said to him, sit in your mom's lap. He was a little guy at the time. He was only five. Close your eyes and just tell me what you see when you hear those loud sounds that frighten you. And immediately I could see his eyelids fluttering. And he started talking about, I'm hiding about life as a soldier. He said, I'm hiding behind rock. There's smoke everywhere. He said, I have a long gun with a sword at the end. And I had no idea what was going on. And I thought it was odd because Chase didn't even own a toy gun. He was not interested in war games or war toys like a lot of children are, a lot of boys especially. And he went on to say that he, he was a, an adult. He was a, a man. He was a soldier. He didn't even know who he was shooting at. He didn't want to be there. He missed his wife and family. And that was the moment. And I still get goosebumps when I talk about that because that was the moment when I realized, okay, we're in new territory. I don't know what's going on. But Norman, since he was a very experienced past life therapist at that point, he figured out that Chase was accessing a past life memory. So he just asked him open-ended questions. For example, like, what happened? You know, what happened next? And uh, Chase, the flow, Norman kept the flow of the memory going by asking open-ended questions. And Chase went on to say that he was in, in this battle. He didn't want to be there. He missed his wife and family. And all of a sudden he clutched his right wrist and he said, I'm shot. And I black out. And Norman proceeded to say, well, then what happens? And he said, well, I wake up and I'm in a hospital, but it's not a regular hospital. I'm I'm on a bench. It's not a bed. It's a bench. And they're bandaging my wrist and they tell me I have to go back into battle. I don't want to go. And... um, he proceeded to say that he was walking back to battle. He was supposed to be behind a cannon and um, he, he was not happy being there. He felt guilty about being a soldier. He didn't want to kill other people. And Norman picked up on Chase's seeming guilt and said in very simple language to a five-year-old, we live many different lifetimes on earth and sometimes we have to be soldiers and as soldiers, sometimes we have to kill others or we are killed. There's no blame in that. And as strange as it sounded, I didn't think Chase would understand this, but he's, I could feel his body relaxing on my lap. It was, he was only four, you say, so five, five. Yeah. Five. Mm. Yeah. Um, And then he said, and then I go behind the cannon and all of a sudden he opened his eyes and hopped off my lap, grabbed a cookie and went to play with his Legos. 
in our typical five-year-old <laughs> behavior. And I was sitting there with my mind absolutely blown. <laughs> and uh, my daughter, who was nine at the time, his older sister, Sarah, said, Mom, the place where Chase said he was shot on his wrist, that's where he has his eczema. Mm -hmm. And I think in, you know, in the shocking <laughs> um, moment, I didn't even put that together. But since Chase had been a baby, he had a chronic and severe eczema on that spot on his wrist, which had not responded to any medical treatment. And we tried food elimination diets, uh, homeopathy, salves, antibiotic, you know, everything. And it had not responded to any treatment. So the upshot of that was that within a few days, that eczema cleared up completely. Mm. And um, he asked for his first drum set. <laughs> so he was, <laughs> the things that frightened him the most, the loud booming sounds, you know, he wanted to make those sounds. Mm. And, you know, he's, he's still a drummer. Um, at, he's going to be 40 this year. But that experience just changed my perceptions completely. It was a game changer for me, that moment. Because it's interesting because you also, because you said, you know, that the, that a therapist had been doing past life regression therapy was at your house because you'd also had an experience, hadn't you, that had led you to do the same sort of journey. I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that. Well, I think everything's orchestrated. Mm. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, you know, with our life paths mm. and my healing was so profound mm. that you know, I decided after that, that I wanted to study past life therapy because it was so effective. And even my medical doctor was amazed that my lungs mm. cleared up. I was very, very sick for a number of years. You know, it would come and go, but I was basically plagued by these chronic lung problems. Mm -hmm. So a year had elapsed before Norman came back to work mm -hmm. with Chase. And it was during that interim period that his phobia emerged. Mm. So I think that was all part of the, my plan. Mm. You know, um, so because I had had the experience, I recognized the significance of his experience. Up until that point, I had no idea children could have memories. Right. I had no idea children could have spontaneous memories without any prompting. You know, he Chase was prompted to talk about his fear, mm. but he mm. wasn't in a state of hypnosis. It was just close your eyes and tell us what you see. It was kind of mm. what they call a bridging technique in past life therapy. Mm. So I was in a position to understand the significance and the potential. And of course, I was obsessed, you know, trying to figure out what had happened. Do other children have these memories? And I hadn't heard of Dr. Ian Stevenson at that point. This was in 1988. And um, I started talking to parents in my community. Um, they're pretty open-minded, <laughs> only the open-minded parents. <laughs> and, you know, I was getting reports. Yeah, my, my daughter said something, my three-year-old, my four-year-old. And um, they were open to the idea, mm. but no one was talking about healing. Um, and I was just collect, started collecting cases, and then I had enough cases to write an article and got it published in the Edgar Casey magazine. If you're familiar with Edgar Casey's work, which is, you know, receptive audience, they believe in reincarnation. And um, I started getting letters from parents all over the United States 
um, I'll put a reader ad in a couple of magazines asking for cases. This is pre-internet days. And I started collecting them. I was seeing patterns in these memories. A lot of children under the age of five mm. had spontaneous past life memories. And it puzzled their parents because in the West, you know, we just don't believe in reincarnation mm. in Judeo-Christian culture, unless you dig deeply enough. It's there in Judaism. So uh, that was the beginning of my research, and which led to writing books, because I wanted to write a book for parents. Mm. After I discovered Ian Stevenson, which he offers the foundation for the work, he investigated uh, literally thousands of cases in mostly Asian countries or countries in which there was a belief in reincarnation. So the parents were more willing to talk about it or they could identify it, but there weren't any, he, he did write a book about Western cases, but it was very, you know, empirical. He was looking for empirical evidence and he wrote up his cases as case studies. Yeah. Yeah. So he never, when I when I was reading your book, I sort of saw that 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 was it was mainly academia, wasn't it? He was aiming at academia, not for parents from a different culture who were trying to understand what was happening to their children. Yeah, and he said nothing about healing, mm. which surprised me. Mm. You know, I, Chase's phobia went away as soon as he talked about his war memory. Mm. You know, it was the sounds of the fireworks that triggered his memory. Mm reminiscent of being on a battlefield with uh, guns and cannons and mortars, you know, it's the big booming sounds which triggered him. So it made a lot of sense, you know, obviously. Mm. And one of the patterns that uh, Ian Stevenson saw was that children can often have phobias relating to the way they died in the past. So, you know, if you die on a battlefield, you might get triggered by loud booming sounds because that might be a, have been the last thing you heard or if you drown, you could have a phobia of water, which a lot of children have. Mm -hmm. So um, he gave me a platform to stand on with all of his research. You know, he found that children under the age of seven generally have these spontaneous memories. They can have phobias relating to where they died. They can have physical symptoms, somatic memory, which shows mm -hmm. up in another life relating to a fatal wound or injury or illness in the past life, which is really incredible. And he, I can't say enough about Ian Stevenson's research. It was phenomenal. He, he was totally dedicated for more than 40 years, you know, mm -hmm. traipsing around the world, investigating all of these cases. But he said nothing about healing. Even when I met him for the first time after my first book came out, one of the first things I asked him was about healing. And he said, well, you can't prove it. <laughs> and I said, well, there's evidence for it. You know, and I started talking more about some of the cases that I had found, like my son's, where I instructed parents in how to talk to a child with a past life memory, especially a troubling memory from the past. Because if it is, if most children remember traumatic deaths, the, those leave a a strong imprint on the migrating soul. Mm -hmm. So the trauma gets stuck mm -hmm. and somehow it carries forward. We don't under, fully understand in the West, the vehicle 
but you know, we are energy and there seems to be some energetic template, which is impressed at the time of death or in previous lives with other experiences, both positive and negative, and it carries forward. Mm. So it's a very different way of looking at personality to personality formation. I mean, in terms of the trauma and the healing potential of recollection of past lives, how does recollecting um, past lives help in that healing trauma? Does anything need to be done or is it simply from your experience and what you've you've heard? Is it just simply for them to remember and for that to be understood? Not in itself. Mm. And it works very much the same way as trauma in this life. Mm. So one of the things that I suggest, um, which is critical, is allow the child to talk about their memories. Don't shut them down. And a lot of parents in the West are totally freaked out by this. Mm. They think it's dangerous for a child to remember or to talk about it. But I found the opposite. They sometimes the soul needs to express this. That's why it's coming up. Because the soul wants to heal. Mm. Healing is needed. Mm. So if you address it as an opportunity and allow the child to talk about it and use open-ended questions, not planting suggestions, Mm. but this is where my counseling background came in handy, you know, just um, reflecting back what they're saying. Mm. Um, Oh, you died in a fire. What happened? Or... um, yeah, I used to have a wife and children. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Tell me about them. You know, just allow the child to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, I kind of just stumbled onto this technique, which I think really helps is um, because children are close to these memories in consciousness, you know, there's this stream of consciousness that carries over. And the way they talk about these memories when they're two, three, and four is sometimes in the first person as if this event is in current time. Mm. So they don't need necessarily know that they made a transition through death into a new body. Mm. So if you can help them clarify that in, in very simple language, say, you know, if, if they're talking about it, say yeah well that's something that happened before Mm. and gave them assurances if they need to feel safe you know i will protect you or you're safe now you're now safe in a new body this can work like magic Mm. because i can process it yeah because i mean i i suppose you and i know you get asked this all the time but you know so say you are a mom and you're child starts talking like that um how do you know that they're not just in a fantasy obviously kids have very imaginal uh concrete imaginal worlds how do you know actually this is different this is a memory um of a past life not just a a fantasy or something that they're creating and you might not initially know in that moment when a lot of mothers go into shock (laughs) you know when you you hear a child a two or three year old talk about how they died Mm. That's usually the tip. That's the direct tip off (laughs) Mm -hmm. that, you know, you're in a past life memory if they're talking about how they died before, but that they may not start the conversation in that way. So if they say something shocking about when I was here before, when when I was big or when I was a girl, a boy saying when I was a girl or vice versa, or when I was a mommy, 
um, listen and don't shut them down. Ask open-ended questions. See if they're troubled by the memory. They may not be, which is fine. And it might explain a lot about your child's personality, knowing where they've been. Mm -hmm. So if they talk about, oh, when I was big before I had a farm and I had horses, oh, that's nice. Um, you know, you don't have to do anything with that one necessarily mm -hmm. until they say, and then we had a fire and we all died. Mm -hmm. Then you might need to say, reassure them that they're now safe in a new body, for example. Mm -hmm. um, some kids remember positive experiences, which can explain current abilities or talents or wisdom. You know, we're not coming in as blank slates. That's the obvious thing. And there's also a tone of voice that children use when they talk about these memories. They're very matter of fact. They, sometimes they sound a little more grown up and sometimes they will use words outside of their so far learned vocabularies yeah um or talk about things that there's no way in the world they could know about at age two three or four mm -hmm. um in my second book in return from heaven which is really about reincarnation in the same family as you discovered there's a great case of a, a little boy who um remembered dying it sounded like a World War I battlefield in France. I think he said it was France and they were walking through the mud. This is a three-year-old, three to four-year-old. And he was shot in his throat. And in this life, at a very young age, he de developed a, a thyroglossal duct cyst in his throat. Mm. And um, it, it spontaneously went into remission after he talked about his life mm. as a soldier who died from a gunshot wound to his throat. And he gave his physician father an accurate clinical description of what it was like to die with a gunshot wound to the throat. And there's no way in the world a kid that age could know. I don't even know that. Mm. So, you know, they'll talk about things that you know they've never been exposed to, or they'll talk about it in such a matter of fact tone that it really grabs a parent's attention and a lot of times with a fantasy if you're around young children when they talk about a, a fantasy you know it's sometimes it's pretty obvious to tell what's fantasy you know kind of implausible scenarios but it's also the tone of voice it's sometimes it's more in a kind of lilting sing-songy voice but with this their demeanor is very serious very matter of fact and if we challenge them saying, oh, this is something you saw on TV, they will say no. Mm. They can make that distinction. And they get a little frustrated with us if we don't understand. They assume we can remember too. Mm. So there are ways to tell. And my advice is just listen and see where it goes. And you might be surprised or it might be a fantasy. It may be something they picked up from a movie or... I don't know, some other means, but usually it's easier to tell with a two, three or four year old that this is something not of present experience. Yeah. Well, I was really interested in, in the examples in your books was 
I think all of the parents actually said they sort of felt like something different was happening. You know, they said they got sort of chills or um, kind of kind of rushing sensations or the heart started beating. And, and quite a few of them, it happened when they were driving. Yeah. I think you give some reasons for that as well. And they actually had to pull over because they could sense actually something different happening here. Yeah. In fact, it was funny because when it, um, I was writing the first book, my husband helped me with both books. I really appreciated that too. Um, yeah, I was finding so many cases where the young ones were having these spontaneous memories while they were riding along in their car seats. We started calling the car seat the time machine. <laughs> yeah, here, you want your kid to time travel. Um, but when you think about it, a lot of parents use a drive in the car seat as a way of putting kids to sleep if they're cranky <laughs> because it puts them in the hypnagogic state. You know, you, they go into a light trance state, mm -hmm. as we do when we're tracking, too. You know, we can just zone out. Um, so, in other words, they're going into a hypnotic state on their own, which we do all the time in our waking lives. But with the kids, it's like they're lulled into that state where they're receptive to the unconscious impressions. The impressions have always been there. You know, we come in with these impressions and certain things in our internal world or external world can trigger the memories. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it's a smell, sometimes it's the sight of something, sometimes it's meeting someone we've known in the past mm -hmm. that can trigger these memories. And sometimes it's just this internal need to heal mm -hmm. that will force a memory to conscious awareness. Mm -hmm. I mean, how common is it? Because obviously, uh, you know, you put the ad out in the magazine, Mothering, I think it's called, and you got right. all these experiences and you, you got, you know, you started to take interest and you know how you see things when you take interest. How common do you think it is for kids to spontaneously remember their past lives? I think it's probably very common. There are no mm -hmm. good statistics as far as I can tell, you know, and there are people, there are people who have been studying this, Ian Stevenson's colleagues or protégés, you know, I'm, I'm not one because I went in to a different direction with it. I'm not trying to prove every case. Mm. And that's what his camp is doing. You know, they, they're looking at cases that can be verified where the children remember enough specific names, details that they can establish the former identity and match, you know, what's, what carried over? Is this a real memory? But they go to extremes. And after Stevenson uh, published, you know, hundreds of cases that are amazing, mm -hmm. you know, I, I'm going beyond, let's pr try to prove this. It's, he's already done it. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, wow, look at the healing potential of these memories. The soul mm -hmm. wants to heal. We're given this incredible opportunity when our children are young to let them let go of this baggage they brought in through past life trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's really been my focus. And not enough people are acknowledging that yet, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, there are, there are a lot of really great past life therapists in the Netherlands who are going in that direction with children um, in other parts, probably in the UK too. Um, but there just aren't enough people who take it seriously in the way, you know, the, the psychological community, the medical community is set up. They're not, 
there's no what code for this in in their world. You know, there's no description in the um, manuals. Mm-hmm. So it hasn't been widely accepted. But you know, parents get desperate enough; they'll seek me out or other people doing this research to just get a reality check. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, I don't know if anybody else who's written a book or even articles about the healing potential. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my, I feel like that's my mission as long as I <clears throat> can keep <laughs> doing. <laughs> you know, and the books are out there and they're still in print. Mm-hmm. But um, it's so important because it. I'm looking at, the deeper meaning of these memories mm-hmm. and it's 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 endless and you know i'm just scratching the surface i mean i hope other people continue this work and mm-hmm. can find more too and and write about it because what are the kind of common themes that you think that you've you've discovered in your research about these memories common themes well there are many universal themes we all share Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in the broader sense, um, consciousness continues after death, no question. Mm-hmm. And aspects of personality carry over after death, which is really quite remarkable. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism have they, they're different um, takes on this. Mm-hmm. But from just the children's memories, I can see that there is some continuity in consciousness Mm -hmm. and in personality Mm. and trauma from the past can carry over as well as wisdom compassion Mm. um so there are these bigger patterns you know what are we doing here Mm -hmm. what's this all about and another thing i found is there's no straight line of evolution in my opinion Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do believe in what is it, the vertical path where you can suddenly become enlightened. Mm-hmm. But as far as reincarnation, it's like it's, it, what I think happens in some lives we progress, progress, mm-hmm. you know, become more aware, more conscious. But then we can fall back. Maybe we're in a, in just a totally awful situation where we lose our bearings. Um we lose faith, whatever that means mm-hmm. for people. So it's, you know, we could have a setback, set but it's it's still a learning experience. You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing lost unless you get totally locked into a certain pattern. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these patterns do repeat. And I've seen that with the physical symptoms mm-hmm. in my own life. You know, I can, because I've done a lot of past life work, I've seen multiple lifetimes in which I died with trauma to the lungs through different gas chamber consumption hanging. Mm. So patterns can get locked into place. Mm -hmm. And do you think that recollecting these lives can really help shift that? Absolutely. Mm. And I've had a past life therapy practice with adults. I do not regress children. Mm. I counsel parents how to talk to their children help them with their spontaneous memories, but I've never, I experimented early on regressing my own children and some of my friends' kids just to see what would happen. And um, I don't do that. And I I really don't suggest parents do that. Mm. You know, don't, don't 
try to bring up the memories, you know, don't try to put them in, you know, use hypnosis or something, because if you aren't trained, you're not going to know how to help them if they get into trauma. But if the kids are remembering these things spontaneously, Mm. parents are in the best position to help them. So when they bring it up, if they know how to talk to a child, they can help their own children. And that's why I wrote the books for parents, not academics. I don't care what the academics think or the scientists. <laughs> well, yes, and, and reading other, there was one str- uh, sentence that you said that really struck me, which is proof is not the point, healing and growth and understanding are the point. And I really got that from you. You're not trying to prove anything. You're just to, you, you tell a lot of stories which are absolutely gripping. You know, um, there was one that really moved me, actually, which was the one about Blake. Oh, yeah. Quite early on, you know, that he'd, he'd been hit by a truck and his mother just didn't know what to do, you know, because he, he said, I love you and I hate you. Um, he was confused. Mm. Yeah, that's a great case. And, you know, I I keep referring back to that. And that was one of my early cases. But it was such a perfect case because it was the first time I used these healing techniques, which I was thinking about, you know, a real test case. And it worked. Um, He, Blake was still two when he, um, a, a truck was passing by. I think it was a garbage truck was passing by their house. And he was at the front door watching his brother get on the school bus. And he told his mother he was hit by a truck. And she assumed that he was hit with a toy truck in preschool. But no, he said, big truck, big truck. And this is, you know, the kids are adamant about what they're remembering. You know, so when the adult questions them, you know, no, it was a big truck. And um, and then he told us in Colleen, the mother had seen Brian Weiss is, you know, probably the best known past life therapist in the world. Um, She had seen him on television just a few days before, and he made one remark saying that sometimes children have spontaneous past life memories. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, she remembered that and she started questioning him. Mm -hmm. And he, he ended up saying that the truck um, rolled over him. He was under the truck. And that's pretty interesting when a, a two-year-old can give that perspective. Mm. You know, they're they're in it, they're in the memory, you know, mm. they're seeing it as they had before. So it's first person perspective. And he was under the truck looking up at the wheels and how it went over the left side of his body. He kind of, he made this hand gestures um, mm. indicating that. And after he was triggered by the garbage truck, um, his personality changed. He went from a very, very happy little two-year-old to a very withdrawn two-year-old. And Colleen at that point hadn't put it together that it had anything to do with being killed under a truck. She She wanted to forget that because she didn't know what to do with it. She didn't want to address it at all. Um, and they were... They were in London at the time um, visiting her husband's family here, there, <laughs> there, yeah. and I, there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he was in a stroller. I guess it was a Piccadilly Circus, you know, one of those really busy mm. areas. And he yeah. jumped out of the stroller as a truck was coming at them. And fortunately, the father grabbed him by the collar and pulled him back and it was it must have been 
incredibly scary for everyone. And um, that was the moment where Colleen wondered if it could be a past life memory and there was some kind of repetition going on about him dying under a truck. And it totally frightened her as it would any parent. And she contacted me at that point because she saw one of those reader ads. I had one of the early magazines and um, I, I told her, you know, he needs to know that you're a different mother. Mm. Oh, and one, one comment Blake had made was um, when Colleen asked where mommy and daddy were at that time when he was hit by the truck, he said they went bye-bye at the store. Mm. So apparently he was unsupervised for, it could have been a moment. Mm. Or, we don't know. But um, when she was telling me all of this, I said, he needs to know he's in another life, another body. He's mm. safe. It's something that happened before. Clarify it for him. So she, she, I told her, wait until he's relaxed or brings up the memory himself. Mm. Mm. You don't want to push it. Mm. You don't mm. want to plant anything. So um, one night as he was after his bath, when he was nice and relaxed and on his in bed and she was tucking him in, she said something about, um, do you remember when you were hit by the truck? And he said, yes. And she told him, you know, you're now safe. That was something that happened before. And she named everybody in the current family to ground him in this reality. Mm. And um, I didn't hear from her for after I gave her all these instructions on what to do and explain the principles. I didn't hear from her for a week. And I thought, oh, that's a shame. You know, I don't know any therapist she can take him to because he was really depressed. He turned into a depressed little boy and he talked about aches and pains on the left side of his body. And when she tried to comfort him, he would say, I, I love you, but I hate you. And she didn't know what to do. And she was ready to take him to a therapist when she called me. And I said, look, try this first. It can't hurt. It might help. And hadn't heard from her for a week. And she called and she said, you won't believe what happened. Mm -hmm. She said, immediately, his personality reverted back to his happy self. Mm -hmm. And the aches and pains he talked about after he remembered being hit by the truck, the same part of his body, completely cleared up. Mm -hmm. It was like that. Yeah. And healing can happen that quickly with kids that age if you address it. Yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. kind of my seminal healing case besides my son. You know, I wanted to try it with other, some other child who is having um, memories of a traumatic death. Mm-hmm. And it's worked many, many times. I, you know, I get, I used to get a lot of emails from parents, not so much. I haven't been that active the last mm-hmm. few years. Um, but it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's what struck me. It was just so simple, you know, and he'd been really quite traumatized and yeah, jumping in front of a truck and very depressed and with these pains. And yeah. it was just that acknowledgement and I suppose her, her just taking him seriously. And I think that surprised me. I mean, there were quite a few, you know, I'm a Buddhist. So I, I said to you in an email that I've instinctively believed in rebirth, I think, all my life. But there were a few surprises from your book. Um you know, just a few things that I thought, oh, I hadn't, I hadn't realized that would be part of it as well. I don't know if there was any surprises for you 
Oh yeah. Always. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> so what, what surprised you um, having studied Buddhism, you know, living that life for so long, what, what surprised you about past lives or healing or the consciousness? I think, well, one thing was that the heal, the healing about how important it was just to acknowledge it. And, yeah. and that that may seem to make such a lot of difference. I think the other thing was that it wasn't linear. I tend to be a bit literal about things. So, you know, and, um, but this wasn't linear. It wasn't like, um, you know, someone just died and was immediately reborn, but there was also a bit of an intermediate state yeah. uh, and that they could also had a lot. They seem to have some of the children recollected having quite a lot of conscious choice about where they were reborn and with whom and yeah, and this whole theme of being reborn within families, um, you know. And then, of course, you do sit there and you think about my family. And think, who have I known before? Right. Well, <laughs> I think we run into people we've known before. I mean, I have, but also this. This is what I discovered. Can you? I don't know where the. Oh yeah, yeah. The Tibetan. When I was Tibetan. nineteen, and it changed my life. But it's all here in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, Bardos. Mm. You know, there is that intermediary or the intermediate state we call Tibetans call the bardos. And they talk about, you know, focusing on um, or releasing, focusing, you know, how, how you're going to set the tone for the next life. And they talk about the moment of death being very significant, mm. Mm. you know, where we can carry from that moment, you know, the especially the trauma, it just, it has a tight grip. But what was interesting as well about those children's memories was it seemed to me that the death itself wasn't frightening. And, um, mm. you know, the, the, the actual death itself wasn't frightening. The trauma before death, like drowning or being hit by a truck or something, was traumatic. But in terms of actually dying, they seem to accept that quite matter of fact. Yeah, they do. Mm. But it, it, it's so interesting that um, they do accept that. And sometimes if they feel stuck, you know, they're still a little stuck in the past. Mm. You remind them that they of, of their births. You mm. know, it's almost like, oh, and, and then what happened after you died? Oh, I came back in my, I came to mommy's tummy. Mm. And now I'm here. I mean, they do remember some of the journey. Mm. And sometimes they will talk about being with beings in that state between death and rebirth. Or it's interesting. I think it's kind of culturally dependent. Mm. You know, what they see or what, you know, if, they, if they're Christian, they might see Jesus or Mary. Um, I remember I went to a seminar in Philadelphia with a Tibetan um, tolku. Mm. And, you know, it was from the Tibetan perspective. He didn't even speak English. He had an interpreter. But he was saying, you know, after death, you see Tibetan deities. Well, not if you're American. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're going to see something else. Mm -hmm. You know, so it is culturally dependent to some, because it's fabrication of the mind at that point. Mm -hmm. And I, what I love about this version, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, it was the um, introduction was written by Carl Jung. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And he's talking about all the projection in that state in the Bardos and the initial Bardos. Um, it's still coming from the mind, mm. Mm. you know, so I think there's a lot of that. And, you know, maybe through practice, you can um, get through that trauma, learn how to do that before you incarnate. Yeah. Well, it was partly also the reason I was interested in that is because I had a car accident where I thought I was going to die. Like it was, it was very serious. And I had a moment where I thought, well, there's no way you're going to live through this. And what in that moment, what I realized was not, um, I wasn't frightened of death itself. What I was frightened of was, um, well, how it appeared in my mind was breaking my commitments, breaking my ethical. I, I wanted to check that I hadn't broken any of my ethical precepts. And that was much more important to me, like what I'd done in my life than the fact that I was going to die or that I thought I was going to die. And that's what made me realize like the death itself isn't the thing to be frightened of. It's exactly, it's much more than that. I mean, I don't know if has hearing all these children's stories kind of influenced the way that you live your life. I still worry. (laughs) I don't want to, I don't want to suffer. You know, I worry about things like getting older and what's going to happen to my body or, you know, thinking of people in Ukraine, what, mm. you know, that suffering, mm. you, know, you know, we can't get through life without some suffering in some form, but yeah, I'd like to keep it to a minimum. <laughs> so, you know, I'm more concerned with, you know, real feelings or pain, emotional, mm. physical rather than dying you know the dying i know well i'm out of here and you know whether we come back to planet earth or not remains to be seen at this point i think Mm -hmm. um yeah but it's in people who have near-death experiences you know they give very vivid descriptions of what it's like to leave the body and you know there's still there's still consciousness and you hear some um experiences that sound very difficult kind of dark Mm. but the majority of them seem to be you know you're you're all of a sudden this cosmic conscious being again you know going back home they describe it but you know we're in the uh how would you describe it the super conscious state Mm. so there's nothing wrong with that you know people go into that state through different means and while they're still in the body Mm-hmm. having those super conscious moments mm-hmm. but yeah that's not to be feared it's more the suffering i think on on the earth plane yeah yeah which this is a tough place to be yeah 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 and you know in a way making use of the opportunities you've got while you've got them because you don't know where you're going to go next you know but can't worry about it. ukraine and so yeah. i've got an opportunity here to you know make use of conditions for meditation and uh, a good life in a sense but it was interesting that your cons- what your concern was when you thought you were going to die mm-hmm. so you had your own life review in that yeah. moment, you know that moment mm-hmm. it which is pretty amazing yeah well it really i did, I did feel actually quite um pleased i did have an overall sense i mean you know this we're talking about I don't know, seconds. So it's not like I, I was thinking in a kind of logical, linear way, but I did, I just had this overall sense, now I've done what I needed to do. 
I've done, you know, I've lived a good life. Um, I think that's the best we can hope for. Mm, mm. You know, at the moment of death, to feel you no know, regret. You know, we've done as much as we can, or tried as hard as we could. I mean, there's always more work to do, isn't there? Mm, mm. Yeah, but it's interesting, you know, you you saying about the kid's life, it's not a necessary, like you're saying, it's not a necessarily sort of linear progression of, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, you come on each life to learn the lessons that you need to learn. Well, you might learn them and hopefully you will, but it's not a given that there's an upward progression. And I think free will comes into it. Mm. But I think also, you know, Having said that, there I think there is some kind of path. Mm-hmm. You know, it, I always tell people that um, when I work with a, adult clients, your childhood, the circumstances of your childhood is the karmic setup. Mm-hmm. And if you have really awful parents or, you know, extreme conditions, that's the setup for what you're to learn about in this life. Mm. Mm. So it has something to do with where we've been too. I mean, it's all part of something planned, Mm. whether we're part of the planning process, um, not with our earthbound consciousness, but when we leave the body, when we're in a more super conscious state, I think we understand it more, you know, mm-hmm. what we want to accomplish in any given life. Mm-hmm. And this, there is, it's interesting because um, I worked with an adult client. I know I'm kind of veering off course a little bit about the children's memories, but mm-hmm. one of my adult clients had a really horrific childhood with a lot of sexual abuse and emotional abuse and, you know, by family members. It was pretty horrible. Um, and she just, she came to me and she said, I've done years and years of therapy, but I just want to understand why I pick this life. Mm. And, um, when she, when we started the session immediately, she saw herself in these tall black boots, cross belt. Mm. It was something like SS during world war two man mm. soldier, um, going around killing you know, giving orders to kill, killing women, children. Mm -hmm. Um, But this man had a change of heart at some point. Mm -hmm. And he said, what I've been doing is wrong in the persona of this man Mm -hmm. that she was experiencing. It's wrong. I deserve to be punished for what I've done. Mm -hmm. And he purposely uh, put himself in a situation where he was killed by his own people. He just wanted out of that life. He couldn't handle. You can't walk away from the SS. Mm. So um, his dying thought was, I deserve to be punished for what I did. Mm. And he he was shot. And and after um, that persona left the body, that body, when she was in that super conscious state, she understood how she chose her life to balance Mm. what had happened. Mm. So I think there is a choice Mm. for not, maybe not everyone can make the choice, but clearly 
we are our own judges and juries at some mm-hmm. some point. Yeah. I think it's just about balance. You know, it's like light and dark or energetic in some way, emotionally. Mm-hmm. But she, it, it was as if a great weight had lifted because she finally understood why she needed to experience what she did in childhood. Yeah. Yeah. So she picked that setup. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. not condoning what happened, you know, but it it made a lot of sense that those were his last words, <clears throat> excuse me, and his intention mm-hmm. <clears throat> to rectify. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was very, because of her experiences, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, she's very compassionate, mm-hmm. um, aware person, mm-hmm. you know, and did yeah, a lot so, of good work. Yeah. So actually, because there was a positive intention there before, you know, in the previous life, that was also a positive intention, even though he'd done many bad things, there was a positive intention that carried on further. Yeah, and I think it's the intention that can Mm. modify what happened in a way, or, Mm. yeah, but, Mm. you know, if if you're someone, I'm not going to name names, but, you know, incredibly evil, Mm. um, and there's no awareness Mm. you know you can come back and experience the same or have it done to you you know Mm. as a learning process Mm. because you wonder why would a little boy be born in rwanda and have to go out and kill Mm. his tribe you know just these horrific situations why did why do those things even happen there has to be something behind it that, I mean, that's my belief that is ultimately good. Mm-hmm. You know, that there can be some growth or learning from it. Because going back to, you know, your experience of collecting these kids' memory, um, past life experiences. Yeah. What do you think does motivate them? Because there are quite a few of them, particularly in your second book, where they talk about this being in this intermediate state and then choosing to go here. And then sometimes, you know, the birth, for whatever reason, doesn't happen. Um, they're not reborn. And then and then, then sometimes they stay with the same family. They stay, remember things about that family. Um, and then, you know, try again, as it were, uh, to be reborn in that family. Um, I mean, what do you think kind of propels that choice to be reborn in particular circumstances, very specific where they want to be? Um, it was, I posed that question to Ian Stevenson as I was writing that second book. I figured he must know. <laughs> you know? So, and um, I asked him and he said, isn't love enough reason? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. I did not expect it from him. <laughs> that kind of response, but... Yeah, but also, you know, if you read those cases too, a lot of them had unfinished business with the family. Mm-hmm. They died young as mm-hmm. children. There were some really poignant cases of that you may have read, you know, just mm-hmm. dying in a house fire as a child and coming back mm-hmm. to be with that grandmother as much as the mother who was mm-hmm. the sister in that lifetime. You know, coming back into that family because that was such a traumatic death for everyone. 
the father and the two-year-old died in the house fire mm -hmm. and the two-year-old came back as his sister's child 20 years later mm -hmm. and um yeah there i mean to me that that's so hopeful mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know that 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 can happen i don't know what the mechanism is you know is it love is the biggest attractor or is it i think it could be vengeance you know if the feelings are strong enough mm -hmm. yeah so could be a number of things that attract us pull pull us back mm -hmm. and stevenson found in some of his research that we're pulled back to same geographic location mm -hmm. and i imagine that's probably changed with our mobility now mm -hmm. yeah we all travel now we mm -hmm. you know we don't have to live in the town where we were born or the village mm -hmm. you know so maybe it's different now i don't know mm -hmm. um but you know just to be with souls we've known before you know there's there are probably any number of reasons to do that mm -hmm. yeah yeah because I suppose that's the thing, isn't it? Because you could, one way it works is you can have that question of like, why why was I born into these conditions? But, mm. you know, it's very hard to say why, because of course, obviously you could be in a very difficult position and then blame yourself because you think, well, I must have done something in my previous life, which is, you know, a very literal understanding of, of karma in the Buddhist tradition of, of action and consequences. But it doesn't quite seem to work like that, does it? It's like there could be many reasons why you're reborn into a particular life. I suppose the answer is that then you make the best use of what you've got. Um, but I, I do quite yeah. like the idea of love being the biggest draw. I do too. But then it's, and we're all so different. Mm. You know, I, some people can be in a horrible situation and the, the best of, them comes forward mm. where other people can be in the same situation the worst comes for you know i think it's so individual mm. and, and we create these challenges on some level mm. i don't i don't pretend to understand all of it because it's i learn something new all the time mm. yeah. yeah but there's so much to think about when we realize that this is not the end the, mm -hmm. you know the end of this life is not the end that there's a continuation of consciousness mm -hmm. and and if we are energy which we are mm -hmm. um you know where are we going to go from here mm -hmm. you know have we had other planetary existences or at other dimensions like you know i think yeah probably mm -hmm. i always say this is just one pit stop in the universe <laughs> I don't know. And it's all about feelings and thoughts and, you know, emotions and like, it's very weird when mm. you think about it, how much we're run by our feelings and our thoughts, you know, what, this is what creates our reality now mm. Mm. and our perceptions. Mm. Well, you had a great mystic poet, William Blake. Yes. <laughs> was very much talking about these things quite a while ago. Mm. Well, you yourself, didn't you? You had an experience when you were younger before all the experiences of past lives where, what do you call it, your eternal moment? Yeah. Um, where you saw something yourself. Did you want to say anything about that? 
Yeah, I I think people have those epiphanies every now and then. I was a college student um, sitting on a beach with some friends, and I just everything expanded, hmm. and I realized I was you know eternity in a grain of sand. You know, as mm-hmm. William Blake said, something like that. Um, and I knew in that moment that I was more than my body. I also had that experience when I was about four. I remember it, you know, kind of you're out of time, out of body. You're in this other consciousness and you don't forget those moments. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've read some of the poets describe those moments too. Um, of cosmic consciousness. And I realized that part of me didn't die, would never die, that it was eternal. And it was, I can't, it was so profound, I knew it was true. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no question that it was true. It was, whoa, it was like the lights came on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and within a couple of days, I was in a bookstore in Cambridge, Mass, not your Cambridge. And, um, I walked in and you know how sometimes a book appears to fall off the shelf right into your hand, you know, it's went for it, opened it up. And it was the Tibetan book of the dead. It was like, Oh yeah, that's kind of what happened to me. Yeah. 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 I I was, you know, just Mm -hmm. didn't, you can't stay there. You know, it's kind of a a quick um, Mm -hmm. view Mm -hmm. of what's really going of reality, different Mm -hmm. reality. I think reality with a capital R. Mm. Mm. So I think a lot of people have those experiences, you know, through meditation, mm. drugs, spontaneously, in a moment of mm. approaching death, imminent mm. death. Yeah, you can, oh, that illumination. Mm. I think we're all capable of it. Mm. Mm. It's just this culture is not designed to uh, foster that or. Mm nurture that as you know that's why you're living in a buddhist community (laughs) (laughs) at our best we nurture that (laughs) yeah right well we're all humans (laughs) yeah yeah but I, i think that's what really struck me about your journey is that you know you had that experience as a college student and then you you bought the tibetan book of the dead but in a way the tibetan book of the dead is so culturally foreign it didn't quite answer it. And then you look for the poets and T.S. Eliot and William Blake. And then, exactly. <laughs> then you went on this journey with children's past lives and actually just got, which came from a different angle because it wasn't reading someone else's kind of visions in a way. It was actually just seeing like directly in these children's experience, just building up a body of knowledge from experiences of other people's lives. I found it, and that's what really fascinated me about that. Actually. That's what I mean by orchestrated. Mm. You know, I think the important things that have happened to me, like that, you know, finding my work and having that experience when I was 19, it's, um, you know, I could have gone either way with it. I could have ignored it Mm. or became curious. You know, I was just curious, like, what is this? Mm. And I think of my generation, too, a lot of us became curious, you know, through psychedelic drugs or Mm. meditation or yoga. it it was what was happening at that time in the late sixties or mid sixties and beyond. So, you know, it's all, 
I think what I've experienced is common to many of us. Mm. Mm. But I was just following my curiosity more than anything. Mm. Or as T.S. Eliot said in the four quartets, um, you can have the experience and miss the meaning. Mm. Mm. So I think if you're really, you know, on a, a search for meaning, mm. it will come mm. Mm. in whatever form or way we understand. Mm. And I, I just feel when my, both of my kids had past life memories, I haven't talked about my daughters because there's not enough time, but mm. that it just literally fell in my lap. Mm. You know, it wasn't like I was searching so much. I was just trying to keep up with my children in my life. But I knew that it was the most interesting thing to me at that moment. It was like, why are other people curious about this? Mm. <laughs> I couldn't believe it when I went to write the book that no one had written a book like that. Mm. That surprised me. Because, but this is, so interesting and this is so real <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 well it's very i can see the books are very helpful i mean there's a whole six book we won't have time to go into it because I'm, I'm aware i don't want to keep you well i do want to keep you here forever but we can't keep you here forever. <laughs> um but you know about abortion and things like that and having a different yeah. perspective on things that are very painful in people's lives um but if you look at them from a perspective of having a number of lives it can bring yeah. some healing to that as well. You know, some kids who say, don't worry, this wasn't the time, but I'll be back sort of thing. Um, quite a few of those. So. Yeah, and I think the real pity is that um, that awareness has been suppressed mm. through belief systems. Mm. Mm. You know, I think it, it, it's numbed us to the point where even if we have the experience or, you know, not talk, not really talking about my own experience, but generally people don't want to believe it because it conflicts with their tra religious training or whatever the cultural belief is. No, it's impossible. This can't be happening. And people are going to think I'm crazy. Mm. I think I got over that when I was younger, but mm. you know how it is, you know, there mm. are cultural norms that Mm. most people adhere to mm. yeah 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 and in a way what you talk about in the book is that sort of concept of beginner's mind of just hearing experiences and even if they don't fit into your perceived world view just hear it and um you know particularly when children are talking or maybe adults as well just hear it from their own side as it were um that uh, and that itself is is something that we can give each other. It's a gift that we can give each other just to just to hear. Yeah. And and I think you pointed it out earlier that just listening to the children, allowing them to express what they're experiencing, is part of the healing. You know, being mm -hmm. present, creating that safe space, which is really the key to counseling. Too. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the keys. You know, you listen mm, mm, and, and create that safe space for a young child to know that you're listening and you're acknowledging mm, what their experience is you know seems to be mm, yeah yeah i think that's true for all of us 
Yes, yeah, and whatever stage in life and kind of whatever we hear about, you know, what's happening in our own minds. Mm. Mm. A lot to think about. Well, there is a lot to think about. Yeah, no, I've really, well, I really enjoyed reading your books. I've really enjoyed meeting you, actually. I was very, very pleased to do this particular interview. And uh, yeah, and I just wish you all the best with your work because it does seem very, very important, um, you know, and uh, for people, because as you say, this is really the only, well, the only book I've come across, which is for people trying to make sense of children's past lives. And um, it's practical. It's rather than academic it's practical here's what you can do this is why these memories come up don't yeah. be afraid <laughs> it's yeah. na it's yeah. natural it's a natural phenomenon you know i keep stressing that it's common it's natural yeah yeah, yeah. and as <laughs> you said it probably it. happens more than we think <laughs> oh i'm sure and even reincarnation in the same family mm. i noticed that um after I wrote the first book, I thought, oh, I'm never going to write another book. This is too hard. <laughs> I just got lucky to get it published. Um, but I started getting these cases, you know, orchestrated. You know, I just, I kept getting the same family cases. Oh, and then I got one case of a child who died and came back to his mother 13 years later with a lot of birthmarks related to his disease. He died at two mm. i can't remember how many months um and he had some surgical procedures that were done and he had tumors all over his body and when he was reborn he had some of the same physical characteristics related to the illness in other words mm. things that couldn't be hereditary mm. Mm. it wouldn't have been passed down on the genes because they were a result of the disease of a surgery that kind of thing. Um, and he started talking about his other life. Even he, he had died when he was very young, but he had certain memories of the place where they had lived before. And um, when I got that case, it was the mother was just so amazingly expressive about her feelings. Mm. You know, she I talked to her a lot over about two year period and, you know, just listened to her because she was you know, losing a child is one of the worst experiences we can have. And um, I saw the changes she went through when she she was able to acknowledge that her present son, when I came in the scene, he was about four, was the little boy she had lost 13 years or 17 years before at that point. And um, how her everything changed, you know, her grieving process changed her take on life changed, you know, everything was different and it really was a miracle. Mm. And we talk about miracles and that to me, when you have a child who dies and they return to you as another child, mm. that's a miracle. I just want to add something um, about, I don't know, maybe I, I don't understand the concept of time anymore after this pandemic, I think it was about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I could be wrong. Um, a TV producer from LA called me. She was a news producer and she said, I just had to talk to you because we had a horrific accident in LA. Um, um, you know, the, the roads around LA are 
horrible. I'd never drive around there. A woman was in the car with her mother and her three children were in the back of an SUV and they were rear-ended on a freeway, mm -hmm. high speed, and all three children died. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just, ugh. even talking about it makes me ill. Um, you know, just how horrible that experience could be. Um, I think it was within a year or two, she became pregnant with triplets. Oh. Mm. And as it turned out, um, she, they, she gave birth to these triplets and she was on Oprah and I saw the, um, you can probably Google it. She was talking about how the triplets, I think they were given the given the first names of the children who died as their middle names. And she noticed some similarities in personality. And the producer called me saying, do you think I should give her your book about mm -hmm. same family reincarnation? I said, no. Mm -hmm. Let her come by it. If she's going to be persuaded, let her come by it naturally. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. It could be, it just could strike her as all wrong that someone would suggest reincarnation. Mm -hmm. You know, it was such a sensitive, mm -hmm. high profile case. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure. I mean, I think it was two girls and a boy who died, and she had two girls and a boy that, of the trip in the triplets. So I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a reincarnation case. And you know, that was a premature death for all of them. Mm -hmm. In that sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there are a lot of cases in your books where you know a child says, you know, this is who I was. You know, oh, when I was here before. Um, and maybe and I, you know you don't know what people's religious beliefs are and you i feel like i'm not going to mm. i would never interfere with that mm. you know when something is poignant or as devastating as losing mm. your three children mm. so you know maybe someday she'll someone will talk to her about it i don't know mm. Mm. yeah yeah but, yeah so i think it happens all the time that's my sense not all the time, but often. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it certainly does. I mean, yeah, and, and you're right not to force a kind of connection between the two things, you know, that in a way you have to wait and see what comes out uh, of people's natural experience, um, you know, rather than saying this is what it is. I think I think that's right. In the, in the book, you know, all these cases weren't anyone pushing anything. No. It was just like at some point the kid would say, you know, and be quite insistent. Yeah. I guess my secret hope would be one of those triplets would start talking about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe, you know, with each other. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, remember when we were in the car and we all died? Yeah. I mean, they could be as matter of fact as that, honestly. That's what's so amazing. Sometimes they're extremely matter of fact about having died. Mm, mm. You know, there are, there's no negativity that transferred, you know, it was like, oh, no, you know, I died. But others are still troubled by that, you know, yeah. the circumstances of the death. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, great. <laughs> Well, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much, you know, for agreeing to talk to us. And, uh, and there's just so much in there to, to reflect on. And, um, 
yeah and just makes you wonder about about life and how to live it and uh and yeah and i I really you know to go back to that point about it's not about proof it's just a lot of experiences that you've seen and heard that have made you question things yeah and yeah yeah and um thank you for doing your homework i really appreciate that you read the books (laughs) so we could have a really good conversation yeah no i'm I'm, right i really enjoyed them (laughs) yeah thank you i was glad